Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Okay, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Have you heard that before? Yep. Yeah, I've lived it. So (laughs) I know this well. I've been studying the woman at the well in John 4, like Jesus's encounter with her. And she had gone to the well that day to get water. In the middle of the day, she was actually hoping not to run into anyone. That's why she went when she did. But she ran into Jesus and he said to her, go get your husband. Well, Jesus already knew that she had had five husbands. But, you know, she says, well, I'm not married when you said go get your husband. And he says, I know, you know, you've had five husbands. And he kind of spells it out to her. And I think this is where we in the story label her sexually promiscuous, right? We kind of put her in that category. But. I think, you know, she was looking for love in all the wrong places, if you put it that way. But if you look at, I, I don't know, just in all my studies, some things have surfaced. And I just want to throw out an idea. The culture. The culture of the day. Okay. Mm-hmm. She was a woman. And at that time, women were considered to be property. It was a man's decision what he wanted to do with a woman. She didn't get to choose. So if he didn't want her anymore, he would divorce her. She didn't even have she didn't, she didn't carry such value in society at that time that she could make a decision to divorce her husband. She didn't have that right. She didn't have that authority. Mm-hmm. So for her to have been divorced five times was not her choosing. It was her husband's choosing. But I do think she was looking for a soul satisfaction in a human relationship. And that just was never going to satisfy her. And Jesus offers her this living water and the opportunity to experience, you know, he's basically saying, let me be your real husband and let me satisfy that place in your soul. But she had been rejected again and again and again. So having been rejected by her first husband, she didn't say, well, I guess I'm not going to find it in marriage. I need to find what I'm looking for someplace else. No, she went back to a man and she went back to a man and she went back to a man and she went back to a man. And I'm not saying this out of judgment to her at all because I got my own things Mm -hmm. that I tend to go to, to satisfy me that I think are going to, you know, I don't know, create some kind of, or satisfy some kind of longing inside of me that are such temporary fixes. Mm -hmm. And then I find myself just, hungry for that all over again or thirsty for that all over again. Yeah. I know that I'll be working on different projects and such. And, and a lot of times it's music and, and I'll get to the end of that project and I'll finish it and I'll release it. And then I feel depressed, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and I know that that's, that's kind of a natural, you know, curve that happens when you're really diving into something and then you come down from it. But I, I do also think that there's something in me that's, that's getting, that's, that's feeding on that rather than, than Jesus, the living water. I think one that maybe we all deal with is social media is kind of like a daily, Mm. you post something on social media and then people, somebody likes it or a lot of people like it and you're like, Oh, they really like it. And then it starts to fade and like less people are seeing that post and you're like, well, now I need to post something else, something that people will like. And you get that ping, you know, that ping, ping and those endorphins release. And, and so we go back to the same thing again and again, but it leaves us thirsty. Like it's like taking a sip of water when you get that ping, but then you're thirsty again and you need it again and you need it again. And Jesus with this encounter at the woman of the well, he meets her and he says, I know you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. I know you've been hoping to find what you're 
your heart and your soul long for in your spouse, but that's never going to satisfy you. Ultimately, you're going to be thirsty every time. Mm-hmm. And there's something here about marriage and it's that, you know, if you're married, I think this is something that helps me and I need to be aware of that I'm not looking to my bride for my identity. Yeah. That, I, that I'm not looking to her, you know, for the sense that I'm okay, but that I, I love Teresa because I'm loved. Right. Not to get love from her because that's not love. If I'm, you know, if I'm wanting a positive response from her by the things I do for her, that's really selfishness. And wow, have I been there a lot of times, but <laughs> to find my joy in Jesus and then just to be able to give that to her. Yeah. That's, the, that's what I'm aiming at. Absolutely. And I think if we find ourselves thirsty again and again and again, we can ask ourselves like, what are you drinking? Cause if you're drinking of the world, you're going to be thirsty again and again and again. And that's, you know, we're back to the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And we all try to find that fulfillment in different ways. Maybe it's, you know, just being perfect or, gaining influence with people around us or the admiration of other people, you know, if they compliment me or they say, Oh, that was, that was really good. What you said, or that was really good. What you did, or you're really talented at this, or maybe it's, you know, reaching some kind of financial security or I don't know, we've all got it. We've all got something that we hunger for and thirst for that leaves us thirsty over and over and over again. But we have the opportunity in Jesus to trade that for living water And the living water is the Holy Spirit. I love how Jesus is talking to this woman about water. She shows up at the well with jugs of water. And so he starts talking to her about water. Isn't this just his way? Like when he was talking with fishermen and he invited them to come follow me, he said, come be fishers Hmm. of men. Like he talks our language, right? He's the master. He is the master teacher. And the invitation he has for you and me today is the same thing that he offered the men fishing and the woman at the well, come, come and experience this living water. It will satisfy your soul like nothing else ever could. You will have all you could ever want and more. Well, if you're anything like me, life has blindsided you a few times. And when life blindsides you, you wonder God, where are you? Are you really there? And singer-songwriter Jeremy Camp found himself there wondering if he could continue following a God who would let his first wife, Melissa, die. And so he almost, almost threw his faith completely away. Singer-songwriter Jeremy Camp. You know, Melissa was, she loved Jesus with all of her heart. I mean, when it says that she worshiped him till her final breath, I mean, She'd lay there with no strength whatsoever. And we I'd be singing some worship songs because she wanted to, to sing worship and had no strength that would just raise her hand as high as she could because she wanted to, to do an act of surrender. She, no, she didn't need to. It wasn't like that she felt like if I don't do this, I'm not actually showing my surrender or my love for Jesus. That was what she wanted to do. She, she said, I don't care if I'm going through this suffering. I'm gonna glorify Jesus. And so that was her. And so for me, we went through this whole thing of went through cancer and she was going through chemotherapy. At one point, the doctors pulled us aside and said, hey, we got to take the uterus out, which meant that we weren't going to have kids. 
And so that was devastating because we both, you know, love kids, wanted to have kids. And so we were just praying and really, I mean, on our knees, just we had people praying from all over. Just please, God, we, we don't want to enter into marriage with that thought that we're not going to have kids. And so I told the doctor, I said, listen, if you go in there and she doesn't have the cancer because God healed her. I mean, I was so blunt. I said, you won't remove the uterus, right? And he, he said, you know, no, of course not. So they went into the surgery and they found nothing, legitimately found nothing. And it was literally, it was a miracle and something that we had prayed for. I'm going, oh my word, this is it. She's healed. We can move on. We can share of the miracle of what he did. And this is just a rejoicing in her heart. And so we ended up getting married and on our honeymoon, she noticed some complications in her stomach and basically went back to the doctors again after our honeymoon. And they said, the cancer's returned and it's, it's all over and she has weeks to months to live. And so I remember at first my, my thought was, okay, no, there's no way that she's going to die because God already did a miracle. So he's not going to do a miracle and give us that much hope. And then all of a sudden she's going to die. I thought this, what kind of sick God would do that? Just reality. And so of course, you know, about three months, three and a half months later, I had to watch her take her last breath. And I remember the wrestle, and I will say this, as she took her last breath, I remember being in a fetal position, just, just curled up. I couldn't believe what was happening because I actually really did not believe she was gonna die. If you just have faith, I remember just, yeah, I have faith. I was like, there's no way she's gonna die. So I couldn't believe it. And I'm sitting there and I remember God just speaking to my heart and there was worship music playing in the background. And he said, I want you to stand up and worship me. But here I am in a fetal position, curled up, and God says, stand up and worship me. And I said, no. And it was like, stand up and worship me. I was like, no. I'm like Peter, and he's three times, third time, stand up and worship me. And I was like, okay. And remember I stood up and I started raising up my hands and everybody in that whole room started raising up their hands. And I can tell you this, if I wouldn't have done that, I would have missed out on the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in that room so tangible. And I mean that from the bottom, it was so tangible and so thick. And I remember that that was a moment of going, okay, God, okay. And then all of a sudden rage started happening. I remember her, her brother saying, why would God do that? Why would he heal her? And then she would die. We both kind of had this kind of back and forth, like God would never do that. And so we almost got angry to saying, God, are you real? Because you wouldn't do that. Like a, a real God wouldn't do that. Or God, is that the God that you are, that you would do that? And so I started questioning my faith, questioning who God really was. And I remember it was just that wrestle for so long. And I, I got almost to the point where I realized I had a, a point to, to make. It was like, I either go this way or this way. I either run to the world, which is the actual cause of the pain, cause of the hurt, cause of all that stuff, and run to that where I'm going to end up in a world of hurt even more. Or I had the choice to go, you know what? Where else are we going to go? When Jesus is talking to the disciples and you got to eat him on my flesh and drink of my blood. And they're like, whoa, that's too much. And they left. And Jesus goes, Peter, what about you? What are you going to do? And it's like, Jesus, where else are we going to go? You have the very words of eternal life. And so for me, I was like, where, am I, where else am I going to go? Like, what else am I going to do? And I, I ran to the feet of Jesus. I mean, it was a wrestle because I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Even if I do believe, do I want to serve that God? And I, I sat at the feet of Jesus and he so lovingly, so patiently, his beauty and his majesty and his love and his kindness and his faithfulness was just so prevalent in my life 
that I stand before people today saying the only reason why I got through this is because of Jesus. That's it. There's no other thing that got me through it. And that's why I'm here today. Why do we still believe? That's why. Because I went through a tragedy and Jesus was everything that I needed. And he was there for me every step of the way. Yeah, life blindsides us and it can just be so unsettling. And and maybe for you, it's caused you to you know doubt the reality of Jesus Christ, or maybe you've walked away from your faith because something has happened. You've been blindsided. Maybe you've been hurt, traumatized, abused, even by the church. And you've said, I'm out, peace out. And you know what? I get that. I get that, that, man, get blindsided by life. I know for me, I went through a a deep, dark depression and I felt like God had just cut me off and was no longer there and that and that's that the enemy of my soul was just being allowed to to do whatever he wanted in my life and I remember saying to my dad why is why is God letting me go through this you know you just you don't get out of this life without a limp and that's why I think the words of Jesus mean so much to me you know in this world you're going to have trouble like big time trouble as a believer, as one of my followers, you're going to get disillusioned. You're going to you're going to wonder why. You're going to wrestle. That word in this word in this world, you're going to have trouble. That the Greek word trouble is can be translated as pressure. You know, so it's almost as if Jesus said, "You're going to feel pressure. You're going to feel the pressure to walk away. You're going to feel. You know, you're going to question me." You're going to question a lot of things in life. You might even question my goodness, you know, and who I am to you. But take heart. Mm. I've overcome the world. Yeah. So, Lord, I just pray for my friend right now who's maybe just stumbled onto this show and this conversation. And they've been blindsided by life, maybe hurt, maybe deeply wounded by another believer, by the church, by unexpected illness. Lord, you know what it is. And I am just praying for this friend right now that, Lord, you would just wrap your arms around them, that that you would just reveal yourself to them. Somehow reveal the reality of who you are, a God who can be trusted to allow us to go through suffering uh, because he's got more information than we do. And he knows more than we do. And he has good things that he's working on through it. And so, Lord, I'm just asking you to to help this person to still believe in the face of the pain. It's Friday. We love Friday. Here's the deal. Stuff happens as you go through the week, right? Like every week. And some of it sticks to us and we get all tangled up in it unintentionally. And that's why we get excited about Freedom Friday because we know it's God's desire for us to live free. And that stuff that robs us of joy and abundant life. God didn't intend that for us. He, he wants us to live free. So he created us for and sent his son to die so that we could be free. So on Freedom Friday, we take our eyes off of ourselves and we look to God and we say, God, I don't want anything to come between me and you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me white as snow and teach me your ways. 
And he does. He's just that good. He does that. And whether it's for the very first time or it's a time of renewing our heart again, we were created to live free. Mm. The book of Romans, one of my favorite books. Paul is so excited to share the gospel with the Romans. And he tells them, for the gospel is all about God's son. And he explains how Jesus came as a man, but as the mighty son of God, he was raised from the dead and set apart with a display of power supplied by the spirit of God. And now Jesus is our Lord and our Messiah through him, a joy producing grace in that beautiful, mm. a joy producing grace cascaded into us, empowering us with a gift of apostleship so that we can win people from every nation into a faithful commitment to Jesus to bring honor to his name. I just had this picture of of God pouring out his living water, pouring it out from heaven and into us, but it doesn't just stay there. Yeah. It pours through us. It once, does. Once it gives us life, it pours through us to give life to others. And that makes me think of Romans fifteen thirteen. right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to say in verse six, and you are among the chosen ones who receive the call to belong to Jesus, the anointed one. And he shares them. Uh, you know, he goes on to share how love compels him to tell everyone, those who are among the elite, those who are among the outcasts, those who are wise and educated, as well as to those who are foolish and unlearned. Can I add those who wear masks and those who don't? Yeah. Paul is so excited to share the good news about Jesus. He says, I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus came to set us free. N.T. Wright points out in his um, commentary on Acts that the word saved really points to ultimate salvation, which is resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth. This is what saved, the heart of saved means, is that we are saved from death forever, but not just living on as spirits with the Lord forever and ever. One day, Christ will return. I know it seems hard to believe, but Christ will return and he will make all things new. We will get brand new resurrected bodies, and we will live in a new heavens and a new earth forever and ever and ever. And C.S. Lewis puts it so well. That's the beginning of the real story, which no one on earth can tell, and in which every chapter gets better than the one before. Beautiful. If you are experiencing today just feeling, you know, that you've been separated from this freedom that God offers you, you feel bound whether it's by addiction or the spirit of religion or just trying to earn your right to be in heaven, you know, trying to do well or trying to satisfy your heart with worldly things. God wants to take care of that for you. Just talk to him right now and tell him that you just don't want anything to come between you and him and he'll meet you right where you are and love you and make you new. And then here's the best part of all. Like Paul, we get this excitement planted in us, right? We become the messengers of the gospel until the whole world knows. Maybe you're thinking about leaving your faith or maybe you have walked away from your faith. 
You know what? You're welcome here. I thank you for listening, and I just want to try to encourage you. A.D. Camp is Jeremy Camp's wife. Now, Jeremy Camp was married the first time to Melissa. Melissa died of cancer. And, of course, after that, he met A.D. They got married. But A.D. Camp, she grew up in a Christian family. She's going to share her story. She almost walked away from her faith because of the Christian music industry. Oh, wow. Here we go. So I was born and raised in South Africa, and I was born into a Christian family. And all my life, just, I remember, I mean, the youngest memory I have is really loving Jesus. And I was always the little kid that, I was raised in a charismatic church. And and oftentimes it's like the call to full-time ministry probably happens every six months where, and I was always the kid running up ahead going, me, 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 like I want to be in full-time ministry. And I didn't even really know what that meant, but just kind of indicative of, I love Jesus. I, I, I loved serving him. I had a really close walk with the Lord. And I also loved music, absolutely loved music. When I was 17, I joined a rock band called The Benjamin Gate. And right before my 18th birthday, so really young, we got signed to a record label and it was an American label. And they said, we will sign you, but you have to move to America you know, to tour and all of that stuff. So of course, for us South Africans, we were like, absolutely, America is the dream. And I remember before we left, our church leaders pulled us aside and said, hey, be careful. We've heard that the Christian music industry and just that kind of industry in general can kind of chew you up and and spit you out a little bit. And so they gave us this warning. And I remember thinking, okay, I need to be careful and all that stuff. But I just, I don't know that I thought a whole lot more of that. At that point, you know, we were all still fully in church and going to church on a regular basis. I didn't think anything, we were still in full community. But I came over to America with lots of big dreams and started touring like crazy. We were in a van and trailer for two and a half years and played nonstop, just really, really, really roughing it. I was a lot of times the only girl on the road, so very lonely. But so when I came to America, I had high hopes for the Christian music industry. And unfortunately, I saw a massive amount of hypocrisy. So many people that would be getting up on stage declaring the gospel and and talking about how you should read your Bible and do all of these things. And then I would witness just such immorality backstage. And slowly but surely, it really began to chip away at my faith. And for about two and a half years, I really went through a stage of struggling and um, just questioning a lot. I remember when I met Jeremy, I told him, even though God had really started to do a work in in my heart, I just told Jeremy, I I don't wanna read my Bible because I've seen the lives of people who do, and I love Jesus, but I don't like that. And so I'm kind of out on that whole sort of like religious thing. I love Jesus, I could take Jesus all day long. But what I had seen disturbed me and I think hurt me so deeply that it really caused such a sense of disillusionment. For those years, I think I experienced what it was like to be in the driver's seat of my own life. I made the decisions that I wanted to make. I did whatever I wanted to do. And I was really on the cusp of some pretty dangerous relationships. Just really, I think, just felt such a tremendous amount of guilt and shame and just I guess the taste of what it was like to be my own boss in a sense. And I remember God just pulling me aside in my own heart and just said, this is not what I have for you. And I went into my room and I got on my knees and I just said, God, I know that you see everything and I know that I can't pretend. 
And so I'm not even going to pretend that I have a heart for you, that I have a heart for scripture, that I have a heart for anything at all, but I need you to do a work in my heart and I'm available. And God met me so powerfully and just literally radically changed my life. And it was right around that time that I met Jeremy and I was still incredibly skeptical of a lot of, of what I had seen. But when I heard his story and I realized just the power of you don't stare death in the face and watch your wife suffer and die and come easily to the place of standing in front of everybody and declaring, I still believe like that's mm. don't make that stuff up. And it was so authentic to me that I thought, okay, that's real. I can get behind that. That's Adie Camp. She's a Christian artist in her own right, the wife of Jeremy Camp, singer-songwriter. And, you know, this is, this is a real thing. People walking away from the faith because they've been hurt by the church, traumatized by the church, seen hypocrisy, and I get it. It's a, it's a real thing. We can't just brush this off. Right. I just, I can't help but think, I hope I haven't been a part of somebody else's feeling you know, tempted to walk away from Jesus because of how I behaved, you know, because they know that Jesus is in me and I profess to be a Christ follower. And so my actions and my words should resemble that of Christ. And when they don't, Mm -hmm. that somebody else would feel turned off of Christianity or following after God because of me. Yeah, same. And it just, it, it, it just inspires me. It challenges me. It sobers me to, you know, there's a, there's a passage in the Bible. It says, Paul's writing to Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. And by doing that, you will save not only yourself, but also those who listen to you. And, and so I think, I think a lot of times we've handled hypocrisy with, you know, yeah, everybody's a hypocrite at some level, which is true. You know, we don't fully perfectly live out our faith, but we've handled it like, okay, everybody's a hypocrite, but just don't look at that. Look at Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I sort of think that's a cop out because we're not supposed to be hypocrites in the sense that we profess one thing and live the opposite. I think that's really what a hypocrite is that we profess one thing. It's not that we're flawless and sinless, but we profess one thing and we live completely the opposite. You know, she, Adie was saying that certain Christian artists and bands would be preaching the gospel, but living an immoral life, practicing an immoral life. I think that's where, that's where the the wounds are caused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a saying that you, say often here on the show and you're going to have to do it yourself because I won't be able to say it perfectly, but it's about pursuing what I'm, what we're pursuing. You know, it's not about the, you know, living, having to be perfect and feeling the restrictions of how, what if I mess up, you know, that I'm going to get booted, but it is about what we're going after. Well, I can think of two things I like to say. One is it's not about sinless perfection. It's about a righteous direction. Okay, that's a good one, but it's the other one I'm thinking about. I'm all in with Jesus, but I'm not all put together. That's So it. let's go for that. This is the part of the show that we share our takeaways. Now, you may just be joining the show, and you can hear the whole thing. And I have to say that... 
God helping us. It was a really great time together. So perryandshauna.org, the show will be posted later on. You can see uh, hear former shows as well, perryandshauna.org. And this is not really something that was in the show, but it's something I'm thinking right now. It's like when we see people who, who've walked away from the faith or are struggling with their faith or don't have enough faith that we shouldn't take on a, a judgmental tone with, with people who are struggling like that because, you know, God may have given me more ability to trust than another person and, and just to pray that God will give them faith because faith is a gift. I have the faith that I do because God has given it to me and I can find myself getting frustrated with people who just don't see it. They just don't get it. Mm. You know, so uh, I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm convicted of mm. that this and morning. Everybody has a story is the thing. Yeah. Like everybody has a story. And even when they're open and raw and they tell you like the whole deal, you still don't know everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yep. you never know what's behind it. So my favorite part of the show today was when you said, I was wrong. Mm. Shauna, you were right. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the show today. That was my least favorite part of the show. <laughs> I'm going to listen to it just so I can hear that again. So painful. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Barry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.